Yeah, I welcome to the damn nation. Yeah, welcome back. Anyway, so continuing on the atrocities done to uh, successful black businesses, uh, we was talking last when I left over. We was talking about Greenwood, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and how in the early morning hours of June first, nineteen twenty-one, Black Tulsa was looted, firebombed from the air, firebombed from the air, and burned down by white rioters. The governor declared martial law and National Guards who arrived in Tulsa. Guardsmen assisted firemen in putting out fires, removed abducted African Americans from the hands of white vigilantes, so they say, and imprisoned all black Tulsans not already confined into a prison camp at the convention hall and the fairgrounds, some for as long as eight days. In the wake of the violence, 35 city blocks lay in charred ruins. Over 800 people were treated for injuries and an estimated 300 deaths occurred. White mob hunts for blacks on Chicago's South Side. The Chicago Race Riots. The red summer of 1919 marked the culmination of steadily growing tensions surrounding the great migration of African Americans from the rural South to the cities of the North during World War I. Chicago was one of the northern cities that experienced violent race riots during last late. I mean, during that period. Now, I don't know what it is, but it seems everywhere we planted our feet, there was some type of uh, animosity toward us. Uh, I don't know what's going on here. Drawn by the city's meatpacking houses, houses, railway companies, and steel mills, the African-American population in Chicago skyrocketed from 44,000 in 1910 to 235,000 in 1930. When the war ended in late 1918, thousands of white servicemen returned home from fighting in Europe to find that their jobs in factories, warehouses, and mills had been filled by newly arrived southern blacks or immigrants. On July 27, 1919, an African-American teenager drowned in Lake Michigan after he challenged the unofficial segregation of Chicago's beaches and was stoned by a group of white youths. His death and the police refusal to arrest the men who caused this sparked a week of race rioting between black and white Chicagoans with black neighborhoods receiving the worst of the damage. When the riots ended on August 3rd, 15 whites and 23 blacks had been killed and more than 500 people injured. An additional 1,000 black families had lost their homes when they were torched by rioters. President Woodrow Wilson castigated the white race as the aggressor in the Chicago uprising. Mm, mm, weird. Mm. Rosewood. Now, they made a movie about this, Rosewood. How accurate it was, I don't know. Uh... I forget who the actor was in in the Rosewood movie, but he was the big burly brother who was who's who was in the uh, Mission Impossible movies. So I forgot his name, but anyway, that's neither here or there. Rosewood Massacre was in 1923. Rosewood was a quiet, self-sufficient. Wilson stop. Now, this is for all the white supremacists who say black people never make their own shit. Well, apparently, every time we make our own shit, you guys destroy it. I don't know if it's out of jealousy. I don't fucking know what the, what it is. But anyway, by 1900, the population in Rosewood had become predominantly African-American. Some people farmed or worked minding their business, you know what I'm saying, in a, you know, 
including a sawmill nearby Sumner, a predominantly white town, was next to them. I guess they was hating. They couldn't, you know, mind their business and stay where the fuck they was at. In 1920, Rosewood Blacks had three churches, a school, a large Masonic hall, turpentine mill, a sugar cane mill, a baseball team, and a general store. Oh, I could see that why they was hating. A second one was white-owned. The village had about two dozen plank two-story homes, some other small houses, as well as several small unoccupied plank structures. Spurred by unsupported accusations that a white woman in Sumner had been beaten and possibly raped by a black drifter, white men from a number of nearby... That's always the case when they decide to kill uh, black people. Someone touched that white woman. Someone looked at our white woman. Someone whistled at our white woman. Someone breathed at our white woman. Someone passed next to our white woman. So that's always excuse to light up the torches. So when the black citizens defended themselves against further attack, several hundred whites combed the countryside hunting black people and burning almost every structure in Rosewood. Survivors hid for several days in nearby swamps and were evacuated by train and car to larger towns. Although state and local authorities were aware of the violence, they made no arrests. For the activities in Rosewood, exactly, because who, who, the Klan is everywhere. The Klan is already in the government, so how's the, why would the government even lift a finger? At least six blacks and two whites were killed, and the town was abandoned by black residents during the attacks. None ever returned to Rosewood. A white mob attempts to abduct a black man. Washington, D.C., race riots, 1919. Post-war, post-Washington, D.C., roughly 75% white was a racial tinderbox. Housing was in short supply and jobs so scarce that ex-doughboys in uniform panhandled along Pennsylvania Avenue. However, Washington's black community was then the largest and most prosperous in the country. See, this is another thing. Every time we doing something, we are prosperous. Meanwhile, they all fucked up in the game. I don't know, man. They act like some of these dudes was acting like they was the shit. But when they showed we was the shit and not suffering, they was like, nah, we ain't having that. And they decided they want to fuck with us. By the time the red summer was underway, unemployed whites bitterly envied the relatively few blacks who were fortunate enough to procure low-level government jobs. Many whites also resented the influx of African Americans into previously segregated neighborhoods around Capitol Hill. Now, I'm going to give you a prime example of how that's happening now. If you look at all the state jobs and city jobs, who are predominantly doing those jobs? That's right. So-called minorities or black people. I know because I used to work for the state Myself, which is they considered also could be considered a city job, but I used to work for transit, and there was nothing but blacks and Latinos working for working for transit. But in hindsight, the people that were in charge were still white people. Now, mind you, these were jobs. Transit was jobs that was that used to be run by the immigrants. You know, you had the Italians and all of them. And what happened was they were when they was building the the railroad system. I noticed because I worked for transit. I went to the transit museum. I know all about it. 
they couldn't work in those deep holes. It was too hot for them. So they had to get the black people who were tropical people and used to that heat. You know what I'm saying? And that pressure, that heat. So anyway, after a while, white people started thinking these jobs were beneath them, picking up garbage, doing all this other stuff. So they either left, migrated, went somewhere else. You know how it is. They're like, oh, it's too many black people. Let's, let's go over here. Now you got nothing but minorities doing the work. And now white people want their jobs back and they're upset. Ah, you you got these black people driving buses and this, that, and the dirt. They upset now. You know what I'm saying? Y'all gave up your jobs, y'all moved, and now you want your jobs back. I had a guy come up to me. He wasn't even white. He was an Indian dude. He was very upset. He was he, he he was very upset that I was working and that he went to college and I was getting paid more than him. And I'm just looking at this guy like, bro, go take the test. But he felt it was beneath him. You know what I'm saying? This is what I'm talking about. You got white supremacist Asians. You might as well call them white supremacists too. And and the funny thing is, what makes me laugh, and this is not to go against all white people because. White people are being treated like shit by their own people. But the people that are in charge are primarily white. And they have done a lot of atrocities to a lot of people or a lot of nations on earth. And yet these black people are the only one that don't conform. And I think that's why people are mad because we don't conform to this shit. We're like, we're not, this is unacceptable. You know, we want our civil rights. And now... Everybody's coming aboard now, like the Asians, they're mad now. Oh, man, they're trying to come at me with the coronavirus. But when they was calling the, the Ebola virus, you ain't see black people getting in the uproar or anybody else getting in the uproar talking about, oh, why are you calling the Ebola virus? You know, that's in Africa, this, that, and third, blah, blah, blah. But the minute you fuck with these dudes, uh, and I'm not, I have no, I'm not sympathizing at all. I'm not, I don't, I don't care what you are. If you, if you in any other race but black, and now you feeling the, the growing pains of racism, good. Now you know what we've been going through for years. Yet you always stood by your white, your, your, your white oppressor. That, yo, this is how it is. Now, the minute he get mad, watch. Everybody, like, like Paul Mooney said, you get your wake up nigga call. Yeah, you realize that you a nigga too, and you gonna get treated to say, let something happen in Mexico, let something like it's already happening. They call my building walls. Let something happen in Puerto Rico. Make let something happen in China. Let them, yo, then you get your wake up nigga call. You keep thinking these dudes is your friend. It's like having a neighbor. Y'all could be the best of friends you grow up, but the minute something happened, the trust goes away, man. The trust go away. So you you'll see, man. You'll see. So that's how it is, man. Anyway, continue on. In July 1919, white men, many in military uniforms, responded to the rumored arrest of a black man for rape with four days of mob violence. They riot randomly, beat black people on the street, and pulled others off streetcars and attacks. When police refused to intervene, the black population fought back. Troops tried to restore order as the city closed saloons and theaters to discourage assemblies. When the violence ended, 
15 people had died, 10 whites, including two police officers and five African-Americans. 50 people were seriously wounded and another 100 less severely wounded. It was one of the few times when white fatalities outnumbered those of blacks. Wow, that's deep. I was about to say that, but I continued reading. Luckily, I kept reading. Guess the blacks wasn't having it this time. Then you got the Knoxville, Tennessee race riots. In August 1919, a race riot in Knoxville, Tennessee broke out after a white mob mobilized in response to a black man accused of murdering a white woman. Yo, that is like the excuse of the day, yo, a white woman. I tell you, that just shows you the power of women. Many, many countries, man, <laughs> and wars started because of a woman, man. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm telling you, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. Even in the Bible, man. Even in the Bible, I believe, what, was it King David? He wanted this other man's wife, so he started a war. I was like, yo, I thought he was a righteous man. What's going on here? I'll tell you, that pussy ain't no joke. But anyway... The 5,000-strong mob formed the, stormed the country jail searching for the prisoner. They freed 16 white prisoners, including suspected murderers. After looting the jail and sheriff's house, this shows you how crazy white supremacy can be, man. You going, it, it, that, this was even in the Bible, man. They was like, yo, we'll let, we'll let your, your worst out if you can, if you do something to, Yahweh Shai, the, the one y'all want to call Jesus Christ, just give us your worst. They was like, they'd rather free the worst than, than you know, keep the keep the good person. You know what I'm saying? They like, yo, yo, so we rather we want these blacks killed, man. Fuck that. We'll we'll free our we'll free our pedophilias, our murderers. We don't care. We want these. Yo, no. No, no mind training whatsoever, man. These dudes is crazy. So, I'm, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's crazy. So, after looting the jail and sheriff's house, the mob moved on and attacked the African-American business district. Many of the city's black residents aware of the race riots that had occurred across the country that summer had armed themselves and barricaded the intersection of Vine and Central to defend their businesses. Two platoons of the Tennessee National Guard's 4th Infantry, led by Adjutant General Edward Sweeney, arrived, but they were unable to halt the chaos. The mob broke into stores, or maybe it was just unwilling, because, I mean, we talking about infantry, bro. They got guns. I know what it was. They ain't going to shoot their white people. The mob broke into stores and stole firearms and other weapons on their way to the Black Business District. Upon their arrival, the streets erupted in gunfire as black snipers exchanged fire with both the rioters and the soldiers. The Tennessee National Guard at one point fired two machine guns indiscriminately into the neighborhood, eventually dispersing the rioters. Shooting continued sporadically for several hours. Outgunned, the black defenders gradually fled, allowing the guardsmen to gain control of the area. Newspapers placed the death toll at just two, though eyewitnesses' accounts suggest the dead were so many that the bodies were dumped into the Tennessee River, while others were buried in mass graves outside the city. Now, I heard that too. 
And this is where we go again with the facts. Because you don't have facts doesn't mean it didn't happen. Fact is, that did happen. But the facts we don't have is how many dead people were buried or thrown into the water. Now, here's here's a good one, Bugatti. New York City draft riot, 1863. The draft riot of 1863 was a four-day eruption of violence in New York City during the Civil War stemming from deep worker discontent with the inequities of the first federally mandated conscription laws. In addition, the white working class feared that emancipation of enslaved blacks would cause an influx of African-American workers from the South. In many instances, employers used black workers as strike breakers during this period. Thus, the white rioters eventually turned their wrath on the homes and businesses of innocent African-Americans and anything else symbolic of their growing political, economic, and social power. On July 13, 1863, organized opposition broke out across the city. The protests soon morphed into a violent uprising against the city's wealthy elite and its African-American residents. The four-day draft riot was finally quelled by police cooperating with the 7th New York Regiment. Estimates vary greatly on the number of people killed, though most historians believe around 115 people lost their lives, including nearly a dozen black men who were lynched after they were brutally beaten. Hundreds of buildings were destroyed, causing millions of dollars in damage. Up to 50 of the damaged buildings have been burned to the ground by rioters, including the colored orphan asylum, which housed more than 230 black children. Now, you could see this in that movie. Um, what was that called? It was, it was by that director who did um, Casino and all those movies. See, my mind, I used to be a movie person. But anyway, he made this movie something American something where they showed uh, them fighting in New York and one of these stories was actually in that movie and they just put it in there but that movie was so unrealistic to me because they had blacks a black guy rolling with these white dudes fighting I was like they would have killed him first of all so as you can see that's why it's hard for me to believe these movies when I when I see it. But I have what but one thing I have seen which was really odd. I've seen this old uh movie. Not a it's not even a movie. It's 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 old footage. And they show this black guy driving a car and they actually show some black people walking around amongst the whites and it didn't seem like there was a problem. And it was very weird to me and it's almost kind of conflicting. But uh, not to the point where it's obviously that this still has, this type of things has happened, okay? Now, maybe they just wasn't looking at white people, and maybe some white people just wasn't really paying it no mind. I don't know. But uh, I wish I still had this video, because it was just weird. Anyway, the East St. Louis Massacre, 1917. During spring 1917, blacks were arriving in St. Louis at the late of 2000 per week, with many of them finding work at the Aluminum Ore Company and the American Steel Company in East St. Louis. Some whites feared loss of job and wage security because of the new competition, as usual. Isn't it funny how you can kill people when, you, when there's competition? Yet they talk about 
drug dealers killing each other. This is primarily the same thing. It's job security. You got drug dealers on the street who want job security. They see somebody coming in their territory and they're like, yo, so these white people were no different than drug dealers. You're in our territory and we kill. And that's basically what this is. So they further resented newcomers arriving from a rural, very different culture. Tensions between the groups ran high and escalated when rumors were spread about black men and white women. So once we got, once again, we get to the black men and white women socializing, da 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 So in May, 3,000 white men gathered in downtown East St. Louis. Now, I, <laughs> let me tell you, man. This shit remind me of some CIA, FBI propaganda shit. The roving mob began burning buildings and attacking black people. The Illinois governor called in the National Guard to prevent further rioting and conditions ease somewhat for a few weeks. Then on July 1st, white men driving a car through a black neighborhood began shooting in the houses, stores, and the church. These motherfuckers got balls, man. But I guess it ain't balls if you know you can't. these dudes can't protect themselves. A group of black men organized themselves to defend against the attackers. I think if black people was emboldened enough to and thought this was their world, uh, they probably would, would be feeling a little brave too. You know, I don't know. As they gathered, they must took an approaching car for the same one that had earlier driven through the neighborhood and they shot and killed both men in the car who were, in fact, police detectives sent to calm the situation. Whoa. The shooting of the detectives incensed a growing crowd of white spectators who came the next day to examine the car. The crowd grew and turned into a mob that spent the day and the following night on a spree of violence targeting black neighborhoods of East St. Louis. Again, guardsmen were called in, but various accounts suggest they joined in attacking black people. I believe that. After the riot, roaring estimates of the death toll circulated. The police chief estimated that 100 blacks had been killed. The renowned journalist Ida B. Wells reported in Chicago Defender that 40 to 150 blacks were killed in the rioting. The NAACP estimated deaths at 100 to 200. 6,000 African Americans were left homeless after their neighborhood was burned. Okay. So you can find the original article found at AtlantaBlackStar.com. Okay. The sources from BlackWallStreet.FreeService.com, TeachingHistory.org, TulsaHistory.org, WashingtonPost.com, Wikipedia.org, History.com, BlackPass.org. So that's where you can find all the sources and information from there. Okay? So why am I bringing this up? Because this is why I feel like black people should stop believing everything they hear also. So, I don't know. It's just crazy. What the hell? That don't make no sense. (laughs) So, anyway. Excuse me for that nastiness. You know. But, (laughs) anyway. Nine government conspiracies against black people that were proven true. Richard Nixon's advisor recently came out and explained it all. We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black. 
but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. See? You see what I'm talking about? Propaganda ain't no joke, man. No joke. So, they're using tactics to make people look bad. You, you see it. These are so-called conspiracies. Conspiracies that were true. Yeah. So what you got to say about that? This is what I'm trying to tell you. If you go in to the hospital, right, you're not a doctor. And you might have diabetes or whatever the case may be. Your symptoms may be uh, because of what's inflicting you, conf- inflicting you, and you go in and you're like, oh, I'm hurt. Uh, then all of a sudden, the doctor tells you, oh, hey, you, you got coronavirus. That's what happened. Wait a minute, I lost my foot because I got coronavirus. Yeah, that's one of the symptoms of the coronavirus. Doctor could tell you anything. I already proved to you that they was uh, sterilizing people without their consent. They wasn't even know. Like, literally right after having a baby, they put a needle in a woman and sterilized her. Or what about the woman they moved? They removed her urethra, man. Like, she didn't even know. She was trying to have, she started a new life and she's trying, she trying to have a baby and shit and come to find out she didn't even got a fucking urethra. Like, who does some crazy shit like that, man? Like, that's just fucking bizarre, bro. And I, I just don't understand why people believe everything they, they hear or see. Cause I'm like, yo, I don't, I don't believe none of this, man. I don't believe none of this. There ain't nobody, it ain't, you know, there's people telling me, oh, yo, you know, so-and-so. I'm like, word. But then at the same time, like recently, I'm not going to lie, God bless the dead. This, you know, this woman, I really was fond of her. She was a good friend of mine. And I just recently found out that she died. And I'm like, all right, well, you know what? That's fucked up. And they're telling me that, yeah, well, she died of the coronavirus. That's what they say. And then I, but then my friend was telling me, but the thing, funny thing about it, before all this happened, she looked like she was going to die. She was looking sick. She was still smoking cigarettes. I'm like, then there you go, bro. There you go. That's all I'm saying, man. <coughs> That's all I'm saying. But let's get back to another, let's go back to another conspiracy. Four months, Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel denied that he knew anything about the shooting of Laquan McDonald, an unarmed black teen who was killed by police. But internal emails showed how that wasn't the case. Y'all remember that boy? Yeah, they got video of this, man. This dude was walking around. He was walking and yo, they shot this kid like mad times. I mean, they got the shit on video, bro. I was like, yo, that looked crazy. Why is this dude getting shot like that? 
Like, that was a big thing. Okay? Now, here's a, here's a good one, but only that you may not have heard. Of course, I heard about this already. But from 1932 to 1972, the U.S. Public Health Service infected black people with syphilis. Yeah, that's right, man. They infected them purposely with with syphilis. Now, what kind of shit is that, man? That shit is crazy. All right? Now, here's another conspiracy against black people that was proven true. Ronald Reagan pushed drugs to the black community. Yeah, that's right, kid. Ronald Reagan pushed drugs to the black community. As part of the Iran-Contra deals, I read this to you, uh, I probably spoke to you about this already, but this is another uh, panel that's talking about what I already spoke about. As part of the Iran-Contra deal, the Reagan administration supported and facilitated pushing drugs into the black communities. Many investigative reports and probes have put this fact to the forefront. While we'd always suspected this to be the case, more and more proof has come to the forefront. This shit was on TV, first of all, okay? This was on TV. I seen it on TV. And I remember during the L.A. riots, L.A. was confronting the government, talking about, oh, y'all was always trying to blame us, always trying to say we're the reason why drugs is in the community when it was your own government that was pushing the drug. They was the drug dealers. They was the drug dealers, man. Here's another conspiracy that's crazy. And you know what? I'm just now reading this, and I was just saying this a minute ago when I was talking about Black Wall Street. Conspiracy. The CIA was involved with the destruction of Black Wall Street. Black Wall Street was an all-black, self-sustaining community that was destroyed by the KKK, but further investigation has proven that the United States government was involved. Well, I could have told you that when I told you just a few minutes ago that they was bombed, okay? How you get bombed? You know what I'm saying? How you get bombed? What that? What's that telling you, kid? What's that telling you? <laughs> this dudes is crazy, bro. Fucking bananas. The own your own government. Now, if your own government could do that to you, what makes you think they ain't putting out coronavirus? So I'm just praying, proof. You gotta understand something, man. I know there's a lot of you Captain America motherfuckers out there, Wonder Woman motherfuckers out there that love your country and all that. I'm not saying I don't I don't really I don't really even love this world like that. I love the beauty in the world, the flowers, the trees that God has made. Yeah, I love that, but as far as me really loving this world, I don't. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, let, let's come on. How I think that I would I when I was younger I wanted to be like Captain America, man. I really believed in this America shit, man. But more and more 
they keep chipping away at the flag. And I'm just like, yo, come on, man. And it don't matter if you white. You If you don't see what's going on, you wilding, you part of the matrix. You got these people killing. How brainwashed can you be to be like getting mad at somebody when they burn a flag or something, an inanimate object. Like, I'm like, yo, bro, you really, truly brainwashed, man. An inanimate object, you care more about a flag than God, the most high. That's bugged out. Conspiracy, another conspiracy. The government tried to kill Martin Luther King. There's been an actual letter released to the public where the FBI tried to com- tried to commit suicide, tried to get Martin Luther King to commit suicide by threatening to release information on extramarital affairs. Imagine that, man. They don't want to get their hands dirty, so they be like, yo, yo, we're going to show you digging in your ass if you don't kill yourself. Or we're going to show you eating your boogers if... <laughs> If you don't kill, if you don't kill yourself, I mean, who knows what what things they can use against you, man? You be, they might catch you in the bathroom jerking off or something and doing some odd shit, and then throw it in your face, and then you like like the Epstein killing himself or Robin Williams killing himself or or or, or your man Kung Fu for killing himself. I mean, who knows what was brought. To the table to have these people kill themselves, man. You never know. You never know. You ever wonder why you got these famous stars blowing their fucking heads off and they got millions of dollars? But I already know money doesn't bring happiness. I know that for a fact because I've been there. I've had a lot of money, bro. Like, I could honestly tell you, if somebody gave me $80,000, I'd be like, that's it? $80,000 ain't shit, bro. I've spent $80,000 within, I'm going to say, maybe a month and a half. For real, $80,000 go like that, man. I used to get, I used to borrow $10,000, man. Shit, I used to get almost fifty five dollars to $57,000 a year. So, and that ain't shit. Because I know people that was getting $100 million doing the same job I do, but they was just putting in that overtime. And I wasn't trying to get that blood money, you know what I'm saying? So that's just that's just facts. You know? I'm I'm I wasn't trying to do that. So trust me, man, that they could they could have you doing everything. Why would you have you got you got your government coming to your house because of a statement you made on Facebook? That's why I don't fuck with Facebook. Like I put something on post. Mind you, I, I don't even use my real name on Facebook, so it don't even matter. But the point is, that's just one of the reasons why I don't trust them. And I only use their Facebook because I was you with certain games you can't save without a Facebook account. So how crazy is that? Anyway, here's another conspiracy: the government knew about the dirty water in Flint. We know that the terrible, dirty water in Flint, Michigan has created a health crisis. But we do now know that the governor was giving out clean water to his staff before the story went public. Yo, who remembers when when um, when Obama, the dude I can't stand, uh, 
so-called drank the water and said, ah, uh, the water, the water's good. There's nothing wrong with the water. Um, I had it. Uh, don't have any smell. Tastes good to me. Come on, man. This this guy, he's oh oh man. <coughs> Another conspiracy. The government overthrew Kwame Nkrumah. I, I remember this. Kwame Nkrumah was the president of Ghana after the country gained independence. He had dreams of uniting Africa through a continental highway system and a radio station that across the whole continent. The CIA didn't want this to happen, so they organized his coup. They did the same thing with Gaddafi. They organized his coup. I'm telling you, they paid other people, whatever, and next thing you know, Gaddafi's dead. But this guy right here, Kwame Nkrumah, Nkuruma, he was bringing, he was uniting Africa, and they wasn't trying to hear that because they wanted Africa to depend on them because they need Africa's resources, man. And it was called a conspiracy, but guess what? It ended up being true. You know what I'm saying? And last but not least, conspiracy. COINTELPRO was designed to stop black activism. COINTELPRO, meaning counterintelligence program, was supposed to be about protecting national security. However, most of the resources were used to quell groups like SNCC, CORE, and the Black Panther Party. So, there you have it. Non-government conspiracy against black people that were proven true. Ain't that some shit, y'all? So... Am I supposed to believe everything I hear? Am I supposed to go, you know, uh, just because there aren't facts about certain things that it's not true? You guys gotta wake up, man. Gotta wake up. Oh, man. Which United States place I'd like to visit, man? I would like to visit. I would like to visit Alaska. <laughs> that was just one of the questions anyway. Now, let's get to more crazy shit that um, the government did that was crazy. And this is, uh, this is true. This is top 10 U.S. government experiments done on its, done on its own citizens. Okay? Countless conspiracy around programs such as Area 51 and MK Ultra have become mainstream in modern day culture. Okay? I remember, I believe it was President Bill Clinton, he apologized for the mistreatment of black people, but he also apologized for the MK Ultra. Now, we already said this again. See, as you can see, people already know about this. But. <clears throat> Number 10, uh, things that were done to its own people, Tuskegee Syphilis Study. The U.S. Public Health Service conducted the Tuskegee Syphilis Study beginning in 1932. A total of 600 African Americans were chosen to be involved in the study. 399 with syphilis and 200 without. Those with syphilis were denied proper treatment for the disease. 
The government wanted to ensure that they were able to track its progression without interruption. Now, <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing and mad on the inside because like rats, they experimenting on us and they're trying to do it now. You saw those two French doctors who were talking about, yo, let's, let's experiment on the Africans with the coronavirus, uh, you know, let's experiment see if we can find out this coronavirus uh, 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 antidote or whatever and experiment on them. Of course, they apologize, but see, this is what I'm talking about. They, they did it. They did it back then, and they're doing. They're trying to do it now, experimenting on black people. Okay. The experiment was only supposed to last for six months, but it became a long-term study that lasted up to 40 years. When penicillin became the main drug to treat syphilis, the patients were denied access and weren't given the option to opt out of the study. In exchange, they were given free medical exams and burial services. A lawsuit was later filed and the government granted free burial service to all surviving patients. Whoop de fucking do. Another thing they did, the uh, Stateville Penitentiary Malaria Study. The, the Stateville Penitentiary Malaria Study was conducted by the U.S. government in the 1940s. It involved over 400 prisoners. The goal was to test experimental drugs in an effort to find a cure for malaria. Not only were they patients, they were also the proctors. The prisoners also decided which of them would take part in the experiment. The testing process counted toward their sentence and allowed some to serve much less time. I mean, if these motherfuckers is volunteering, though, I don't know what to say, but the shit is still fucked up. The prisoners will also choose who is eligible to receive a reduced sentence. However, intriguing this may have been for the prospective patients, the experimental drugs often had irreversible side effects. One of the most famous prisoners involved in the experiment was Nathan Leopold, who many may recognize from the Leopold and Loeb murder case in 1994. He stated that the prisoner was often dealing with the horrifying side effects without complaint, despite the immorality of this experiment, it was praised by many for the benefits it would create for society. Citizens saw it as a sacrifice to find the cure for malaria at the prisoner's expense. Well, I don't know how I feel about that, man. I'm just glad I didn't have to make that decision. How about this? The Navy sponsored beef blood transfusion. Woo! Edward Kahn, a biochemist working at Harvard University conducted an experiment in 1942 with sponsorship by the U.S. Navy. The Navy had contacted Cohn to engage in this secret project to discover a possible biological weapon. His work involved injecting prisoners with cow blood in an effort to detect a protein that could be used in the event of an upcoming war. The 64 subjects who were injected with the cow blood all suffered catastrophic effects ending in death. Yo, imagine somebody giving you fucking animal blood, kid. Although this government experience ended in failure, it was soon learned from Cohn's methods that the true way to identify the protein was not in cow blood, but in human blood. Duh? Duh? 
The methods were replicated using human blood, and the protein was not only isolated, but it was also pure. Instead of being used to harm others, the protein was later used to effectively treat shock patients. Yo, this is horrifying. Seven, plutonium testing. During the mid-1940s, U.S. was busy with Manhattan Project, the effort to create the atomic bomb, because the effects of radiation from the bomb were largely unknown. The government spent years studying them, including with experimentation on its own citizens. Did you hear that? Plutonium is one of the many radioactive materials the government used in these types of tests. Patients would receive doses of radioactive plutonium in the form of injections. A majority of these, so you want that Corona joint? Yo, go go ahead, man. Get that get that Corona injection. Go get that 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 shit that got mercury in it, and watch what happens. A majority of these patients were terminally ill, which made the result of the experiment difficult to fully understand. They were never told what was being done to them, probably because the word plutonium remained a government secret until after World War II. Although most of the patients did not die from effects of the plutonium injections, the government's secrecy and willingness to subject its own citizens to such experiments raised suspicion for many. Now, I knew about this right here. This is the World War II mustard gas experiments and how they experimented the effects on uh, Mexicans and uh, African-Americans. They wanted to see the effects that it would have. So, um, 60,000 human subjects were used during the studies. Did you hear that? 60,000. Now, this is a conflicting report because it says mostly Caucasian men. Now, I read an article that they was using. Okay, well, it does say it here. However, many Japanese and African-Americans were also used to identify any possible skin differences within the government. So that's what they was used for, the skin difference. They felt like, well, if he's black, maybe, you know, it'll affect him different because his skin color. There were several different tests used to determine the strength of such protective clothing in both gas chambers and field. Human subjects were tested in particular for their clothing items and monitored effects that chemicals had on nature, such as on animals and water quality. There was also evidence that some of the soldiers were not offered any protective gear or clothing. In chamber tests, troops wore the masks and clothing and stood in the deadly gases from one to four hours. The tests were repeated daily using the same people as subjects until they exhibited dangerous reactions to the exposure. That's fucking crazy, man. This Now, why does this sound familiar? Operation Paperclip. In Operation Paperclip, the U.S. raced against the Soviet Union to attain as many Nazi scientists as possible before an impending war. The many advances German scientists had made, including synthetic rubber and much more, led to them being the most sought-after researchers. If the U.S. could employ these scientists, they could use their intelligence to develop many more advancements, ensuring national security if the Cold War were to escalate into another world war against the Soviets. The U.S. paid the Nazi scientists to work for the government, providing them with immunity from prosecution for their offenses following World War II. That's what's new. 
This immunity allowed them to escape jail and possibly execution. The U.S. government also offered to care for the scientists' family if they agreed to work for them. Originally, only rocket scientists were wanted, but the U.S. eventually employed up to 1,600 Nazis until 1990. Damn! These actions were highly illegal and remained extreme government secrets for many years. Operation Sea Spray. September 1950, the U.S. Army was involved in a secretive experiment to test the possibility of biological warfare, coronavirus. Biological war coronavirus near the West Coast. They did so by releasing biological weapons into the streets of San Francisco to test their effects. They released a type of bacteria to gain information on how it would affect the population. <laughs> this was done without the citizens' consent. By the end of Operation Sea Spray, six different biological warfare tests had been performed on the residents of San Francisco. Maybe that's why they're gay. Huh. These releases killed many people and hurt several more. The government then concluded that it is very likely for a coastal city to be affected by such warfare. One of the many deaths caused by this experiment was Edward Nevin. He died after bacteria from the government testing spread from his urinary tract to his heart. Other cases soon followed him, but many were cured after long, torturous hospital stays. Coronavirus. Oh, did I say that out loud? Three, Operation Big Buzz. This catastrophic experiment conducted by the United States government in 1955 may not seem as harmful as it was. The government released millions of Aedes aegypti mosquitoes known to carry yellow fever into Georgia parks. The bugs quickly dispersed into the suburbs. The goal was to determine how effective insects could be in biological warfare by tracking biting habits on citizens. Wow! Although these mosquitoes weren't infected with yellow fever, the government still tested the potential for biological warfare by experimenting on its own citizens, with the people of Savannah, Georgia, being the target. It is also recorded that government officials disguised themselves as healthcare officials in order to effectively record the mosquito bites and track their locations. Many other experiments similar to Operation Big Buzz were also performed, such as Operation Dropkick. <laughs> Yo, Dropkick, motherfucker, the government was dropkicking motherfuckers. And Operation Big Itch, Big Bitch. Operation Dropkick is very similar in that they both tested mosquitoes in Georgia. Operation Big Itch involved the government releasing fleas into the public to study their biting and travel habits, like the goal for Operation Big Big Buzz. Operation Big Itch was meant to determine how effective fleas would be in spreading disease and biological warfare. All of these studies show the government's determination for de- developing advanced biological warfare methods. Willowbrook experiment. Wow, this is crazy because my father used to work in Willowbrook on Staten Island. So that's crazy. So did my aunt. So she's going to like this. The Willowbrook experiments. 
The extremely shocking Willowbrook experiments were aimed at discovering a cure for hepatitis. The continuous study lasted from 1956 to 1970. The subjects were taken from Willowbrook State School, which is located in Staten Island. See, I already knew that. New York. They were mentally handicapped children. The series of tests involved injecting the children with experimental drugs that were meant to cure hepatitis. Not only were the children unable to provide consent, but they would often die from the treatments. When questioned about their actions, officials justified themselves by stating that hepatitis was prevalent in their situ in in the institution, and nearly all patients would become infected anyway. The children who did not contract the disease naturally were infected by the administrators to carry on the experiment. <sighs> Fucked up. Measles vaccine experiment. Ooh. Experiments involving the measles vaccine was conducted from 1990 to 1991. This ain't even old. Wow. By the Centers for Disease Control. The doctors wanted to know if they could use it to replace natural antibodies in babies. To test this, doctors injected thousands of babies in the third world with the drug. So when I hear third world, I hear Africa. The vaccine eventually led to several immune problems in the babies and caused many deaths, although the exact number is unknown. Mm, figures. Knowing the drug had this effect, the government still tested it on African-American and Hispanic babies in Los Angeles. They injected more than 1,500 babies in the United States with the experimental drug. However, the study came to an end when it was discovered that African children were dying at an alarming rate up to three years after receiving the vaccinations. The CDC later admitted that the parents were unaware that their children were being injected with an experimental drug that had not yet been verified by the Federal Drug Administration. So, with all that being said, do you still believe everything you hear? Do you, do you really trust your government? Are you that scared? I'm just looking at my... When I see... You gotta understand, when I see my black people wearing masks and shit... Yo, that shit is disturbing to me, man. I've been going to the synthesis happen. I went to the store yesterday, man. And I seen people with masks. I, when I saw people without masks, I wanted to give them a five. For real. Like, give them a hug. But when I seen people with masks, I wanted to stay away from them. Because I wanted them to know I'm respecting you that you think I might give you something. So I would, I would act like I'm scared of them. I'm like, let me get the fuck away from me. You gonna get? Let me get the fuck away from you, cause crazy is also addictive. Let me get away from these crazy motherfuckers, man. You know. Now I don't want to repeat myself, but I'm on another site called Complex, and their title is the worst secret things the United States government has done to the American people. Now, some things I already know I'm not going to repeat because one of the first things they got is letting African-Americans die of syphilis when treatment was available. And I already talked about that with the, with the Tuskegee experiment. Uh, using drug experiments to try to control behavior. That's the MKUltra. 
We, we, I'm pretty sure you already know that. They was trying to control people's minds. Uh, what's this? Experimenting with electroconvulsive therapy. Man, that's crazy. As part of Subproject 68 within Project MK Ultra, New York Dr. Donald Ewan Cameron was paid more than $60,000 by the government in the 1950s. Back then, that's a lot of money, kid. That's almost like a million dollars back then. To perform mind control experiments in Canada. It's crazy, kid. The tapes had both positive and negative messages and were played up to 500,000 times. In the end, of end, some of his patients forgot how to talk, forgot who their parents were, or developed amnesia. The electroconvulsive therapy was performed at 30 to 40 times the typical power and left patients who originally came in for anxiety treatment or other relatively minor things with more permanent damage. Fucking crazy, man. Allowing known criminals to buy guns. Now, this is this is crazy. This is between 2009 and 2011. The Borough of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives allowed the illegal purchase of guns to known criminals in Arizona with the hopes that the weapons would lead them to Mexican drug cartels as they made their way across the border. When the government lost track of some, now I heard about this, 1,700 guns and weapons showed up in Texas instead of Mexico, the project dubbed Operation Fast and Furious was in trouble. But after one of the AK-47s that was was purchased resurfaced at the scene of the murder of the United States Border Patrol agent, Brian Terry in Arizona during December 2010, the program was officially terminated. While it is unconfirmed, Mexican officials say that 150 Mexican citizens have been killed or wounded by guns trafficked by Fast and Furious. Two similar programs were overseen by President George W. Bush. Operation Y Receiver and the 2012. I already now, they're repeating something I already said, injecting people with plutonium, we know that. Exposing poor cancer patients to large doses of radiation. Woo-wee! The Pentagon sponsored a program led by Dr. Eugene L. Singer of the University of Cincinnati to test the effects of radiation on the human body. In order to find out how much radiation a soldier could withstand before they become disoriented during a nuclear explosion, Sandra exposed 90 cancer patients, patients at the university to large doses of radiation. Many patients had radiation exposed to their entire bodies from 1960 to 1971. During the test, Sandra would record their mental and physical responses. It was later discovered that the radiation had reduced the white blood cell count in some of the patients to practically nothing. 21 patients died within a month of their exposure. Under Singer's watch, many were poor and 60% were black. Hmm, figures. What happened here is one of the worst things this government has ever done to its citizens in secret. Dr. David Eagleman of Brown University told the New York Times. 
Completing chemical experiments with mustard gas on sailors. We already talked about that. Recruiting Nazis to live in America after World War II. We already talked about that. Now, this I already knew. This is crazy. If you haven't heard about this, this was a conspiracy that became true. Adding poison to alcohol, killing over 10,000 Americans.